Well, it is good to be gathered here. I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see you. I hope y'all are excited to see me and see your brothers and sisters here uh, gathered around the, the throne of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, to all of our first-time visitors, it is good uh, to see you. We are thankful that you are here. You certainly could have been anywhere, but we want to make uh, much over you today and say thank you for coming. Uh, there's two things that our church is passionate about. Number one, we are passionate about Jesus. We want to make a lot of noise about Christ uh, and the work that he has done on our behalf. And the second thing we are passionate about is the word of God. So why don't you guys indulge me and grab your Bibles. Meet me in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be. As you turn there, uh, let me just say we are in our Spread Love sermon series. It is a five-week sermon series on generosity, stewardship, uh, and sacrificial giving. Uh, but I think it's important that you that you know, at least I make this announcement that we're not only talking about spreading love in terms of generosity and finances here, but your kids in the kids room for the next five weeks will be talking about uh, what spread love means, what generosity is and what it is not. Uh, and they're not just talking about it through a curriculum, but they're also moved to action. As Gabe said, they will be uh, doing some creative things like baking cookies and taking the proceeds from Uh, the bake sale, and putting that into the capital campaign. They also have um, giving cans. And so they're they're putting money and change into the giving cans. And the week before November 4th, they'll come in and they'll pour that in front of you. They'll they'll pour those giving cans into uh, a bucket, which will signify that these are God's resources and we're giving them back uh, to the Lord. And listen, adults, don't let the kids outshine you. Don't let them outshine you with this spread love. But, you know, Never, never underestimate the impact that this could have on the future that's in that room. Like, never underestimate that. I remember growing up as a kid, uh, my father was in the military. Part of where I grew up was Jacksonville, North Carolina. And we attended a church, First Baptist of Jacksonville. And I remember uh, we were meeting in a small space, the church we were in. It was a small little, little space we were meeting in. We, I mean, it was packed every Sunday. People couldn't get in. Sometimes people would stand outside the doors and just listen to, uh, to the word of God being preached by our pastor. Uh, his name is James Brown. Not the Godfather soul, but his name was James Brown. Uh, and every week he would proclaim the word and people would come to hear the word of God. And so him and the elders had this good idea. They said, you know what? Our space is too small Let's go down the the street and buy a lot. Let's buy a a, a piece of land and we'll build on that land. And so the elders came together, brought their money together, bought the land. Then they went to the church and said, well, we bought the land. We're asking that you would put the building on top of the land. And so the church became um, sacrificial and generous in order to build uh, on on top of that land. But before they were able to build, we thought of some other creative ways uh, to uh, engage in this capital campaign that they were doing. And as a kid, I remember, I'm telling you, I have vivid memories of being in a small space. And on a Sunday, every Sunday, they would take all of the kids to the land that they bought and they, they planted produce. And we would pull up the weeds and we'd water the produce. And then they would take the fruit and the vegetables, put them on the back of a truck, take them down the street, sell them, and then bring the proceeds to the building campaign. So I learned at a young age what sacrifice is. I learned at a young age what it means to invest in something that's greater than you. Uh, And so I do not, you know, pray for the kids, man. I I don't take I don't take them uh, and this spread love capital campaign. I don't take for granted the impact that it will have on their young, uh, young minds. 
Uh, let, let me do this really quickly because some of you have been asking me, especially last week, as we were talking about Exodus 35 and generous hearts and everybody in Israel contributing towards the building of the tabernacle. Some of you said, okay, I'm excited. I can't wait to give. How do I do that? Uh, and so I just publicly want to say, just slow down a bit. One of the things I really want to do as your pastor is lay a good biblical foundation for generosity and stewardship. And so instead of you just jumping on and impulsively giving uh, out of conviction, I, I would rather you say, man, I'm giving out of joy because I understand biblically what the scriptures say about my finances and my resources. So we're asking you, yes, we're, we're in the middle of a spread love campaign, but I'm not asking you to give yet. I'm asking you to consider slowing down. There's three ways we're hoping that you would give. I'll quickly say them so I can get to the word. Uh, the first way we're asking you to give is courageously. So on November 4th, you've heard me mention that date. November 4th is what we call Commitment Sunday. And we're asking everyone that's a part of this church, everyone, to genuinely figure out what is the largest gift that you can contribute on that Sunday. Now, my wife and I are, are putting our minds together and trying to figure out how we can bring a substantial gift, whatever that is, uh, how we can be sacrificial in giving. And by default, if all of us bring the largest gift that we've ever given on one Sunday, by default, we will raise the largest offering that we've ever raised on one Sunday. Now, here's why that's important. That will kick us into some good momentum in trying to reach our goal. And, and so uh, I'm, I'm not... Again, like I said last week, I'm not afraid to ask God's people to give of God's resources to God's church. I'm just, I'm just not. Like, you know, if anything, I'm inviting, I'm not begging, I'm inviting you to participate in what God is, what God is doing here. Uh, and so that's the first way is courageously. The second way is consistently. So the capital campaign will run from November, uh, November 4th of this year to December of 2020, 2020. And our goal is consistently, what would it look like for monthly you to say, I'm going to give a little bit uh, more than I typically give to be sacrificial, to give up until uh, December of 2020. Let me just tell you, I'm praying that y'all knock it out in eight months, 10 months, just so we can get moving with the work of the Lord. Um, but consistently, and then the third and final way that we're asking you to give is um, courageously, consistently, and that you would give creatively. Just like the kids are in there doing bake sales, there are some other ways that you guys can figure out that you would contribute. And some of that is non-cash items. Some of y'all, like if you're balling out of control and you got two or three properties, sell one, bring it to the church. And some of you got two or three cars, you, maybe you don't even need them. What would it look like for you to, and we have a person that is able to take all non-cash uh, items and liquidate it and turn it into resources. Is Jess still here? She's not here. Okay, so uh, Jess Donaldson, uh, I don't know if we have a picture of her, if not, it's cool. Jess Donaldson, she's one of our deacons. Uh, we're asking that you guys would see her. I'll make sure that she's visible uh, within the next few weeks. You guys could see Jess Donaldson in anything. You might say, man, I got jewelry at home that I never wear. How can I make this, uh, turn this into to some type of cash? She will help you to do that. Amen? All right, let's get into the Word of God. Before we dig in, uh, let, let me also say that even though we're in a spread love capital campaign, it's a really topical series on generosity. I'm so eager to get back in the book of the Bible. Y'all know my heart is to work through books of the Bible. And so uh, we have started our church. We went through Colossians. Uh, we also went through the book of Jonah, entire verse by verse, line by line. We went through First uh, Peter, and then we also went through Habakkuk. And at the top of next year, we will be going through the book of Romans. Uh, that's 16 chapters. 
So we, we're, we're gonna, how we're going to do it is we're going to break it up a little bit. So we'll do one through eight. Then we'll take three months off, two to three months off, not off, but off from Romans. And then we'll jump back in and do um, chapters nine through 16. It is a lot in that book. So I, I hope you were excited about that. Be praying about it. Read it. Get, get it in your spirit so that we can work through it. All right. Luke chapter 12. Verse number 16 says this, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Please underline this foolish phrase. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this, so it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I want to preach today uh, from the topic entitled Stewardship Dangers. Stewardship Dangers. Let us look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, we Uh, desperately need you moment by moment. We need you second by second. And uh, I I think if we're honest, we realize that this moment is no different. We need you. Not one person in this room, including myself, can hear unless you take out the spiritual earwax in our ear. So, Father, I can't preach without your Holy Spirit using me. And so, Father, would you take control of my thoughts? Help me to preach exactly what is in the text. Give me strength, O God. Give me clarity and give me boldness to preach your word. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Amen. Stewardship dangers. Uh, A few years ago, I was uh, watching a documentary on uh, ABC. And the documentary was on how ancient uh, Egyptian kings died, were mummified, and were buried. And In this documentary, they focused on one specific region in Egypt. It's known as the Valley of the Kings. If you looked at this documentary with me, one of the things you would have picked up is that there was about 62 tombs that they found in this valley. And most of the tombs they found there, they think that they were the tombs of some very notable people pharaohs and kings and noble people. When they went inside these tombs, they took the cameras inside and There was a few things that I noticed inside the tombs. Number one, most of the tombs didn't just have one body buried inside of them. They were multiple bodies. And so what they typically believed in ancient times in Egypt is that the king or the pharaoh would go into this tomb and then he would pass through and get to the afterlife. And they wanted to make sure that he got to the afterlife with servants. And so they would take his servants, they would put them to death, mummify them, put them in the tomb with him. The other thing I I noticed about these ancient tombs is that they had writings on the wall and they had all types of art on these tomb walls. And the third and final things, as as most of you would know, is, of course, there were precious stones inside of these tombs and there was valuables and there was gold and there was silver and gold plated chariots and alabaster vases. I mean, all of this treasure inside of these tombs. And to this day, archaeologists search in the tombs in Egypt to see if they could find treasure and valuables. Now, I lift this illustration simply to point out the folly in being buried with a bunch of stuff. Because you think, at least they thought, that they were going 
to pass through the afterlife and they would have riches. In reality, years later, we're digging up their tombs, finding their valuables and selling them. But, but this is no different than what we do. What we do is the exact same thing. We hoard up God's resources and we, one day we'll have an expiration date and, and Jesus is saying, well, who's, who, all that stuff that you have, and whose will that be? And that is exactly the point of this text. My grandmother would say it this way, that I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. Everything that's in your bank account right now is not going to go through with you. It's just not going to, you don't need it in heaven. Like God says in heaven, there'd be many mansions. You ain't purchasing a mansion. He's giving it to you. So, so you got to understand the resources that you have here on earth. There is a reason that God has given you those resources, and you have to be a good steward of them. Now, in our text, he's going to give us, Jesus is speaking to us through a parable. You should just look at your neighbor and say a parable. So a parable is how Jesus most of the time spoke. A parable is basically a story, and he's really trying to illustrate his point. Now, parables have two main reasons why Jesus told parables. Number one, because he wanted to reveal truth to those who wanted to know it. But the second reason Jesus told parables was to conceal truth from, to those who were indifferent. In other words, Jesus sometimes told parables to confuse everybody. Y'all remember the parable with, the, with the, the four different types of soil? And after Jesus told the parable, he slipped away and his disciples were like, yo, Jesus, what was that? Like, we don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus like, well, I say this because to you have been given the secrets of the kingdom, but to others, I have to speak in parables. Then he says, because seeing they may not see, and then hearing they may not understand. In other words, Jesus told stories to confuse those who were not a part of his, his clan. And like, I would never do that. I'm trying to tell you stories. I told you about the ancient kings in Egypt because I want to lift up a point. Jesus sometimes did it to confuse them. Bible shows us that at least 35 parables were told by Jesus in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, Mark, Mark chapter 4 will say it this way. He did nothing without telling them a parable. So parables were an intricate part of how Jesus spoke. In our text today, Jesus once again is speaking in a parable. And in this parable, he's describing a man, but he gives this man Two descriptive titles. Number one, he's rich. Number two, he's a fool. Now, it's important that you understand he is not a fool because he's rich. Like, hear me. Anybody in here, if you are rolling in dough, that does not mean you're a fool. Now, what he does with the riches does show us whether he is living in folly or whether he is uh, living in wisdom. Now, Many of us in this room know rich people that are godly, that are generous, and that really love Jesus. I told y'all about a, a time I was in Canada, and I was sitting at a table, and I was eating lunch with this group of guys, and I didn't know any of the guys, but we just started talking and catching up, and I was saying, this is before the church started, and I was saying, man, all my aspirations and hopes for starting a church in Bed-Stuy, and out of nowhere, the spirit moved on this brother, and he says, listen, man, I'm your money guy, talk to me. Now, if you tell me you're my money guy, like, I, I need, really need to talk to you. And he, that's exactly how he said it. Like, you're, 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 I'm your guy, man. Just talk to me. And so I began to tell him about the church. And for some reason, he, like, generosity just moved on his heart. And he started t- sending checks because he's like, I want to fund that vision. Now, 
He's extremely wealthy. He's one of the wealthiest men in Canada. I mean, literally one of the wealthiest men. But that, like, if we read this text and say he's a fool because he's rich, we're missing the text. He's, he's a generous dude that loves Jesus. And every week you come in here, I beat up on the prosperity gospel. I just do. I hate the, I mean, literally hate the prosperity God. This gospel that says that you get Jesus plus a bunch of stuff. See, the gospel is you get Jesus and he's enough. But for some reason, we've, we've, we've attached onto this gospel that says that Jesus wants everybody rich. That's not true. But at the same time, if you swing the pendulum too far to the other side, we stop believing in the prosperity gospel and start believing in a poverty gospel. This gospel that says that any materialistic stuff you have is dangerous, but that is not true either. Anytime you add anything to the gospel, you no longer have the gospel. So the prosperity gospel is not the gospel. The poverty gospel that God wants everybody poor is not the gospel. The gospel don't need no help. It stands on its own. And so I'm saying that to you because anybody that believes in the poverty gospel will say, well, this man is foolish simply because he's rich. That's not the case. He's not, he's not foolish based on his net worth. He's foolish based on his selfish greed. He's not foolish because of what he makes. He's foolish because of what he does not give. So, so you have to understand the difference. Now, when I read texts like this, I want to know, how did this man become rich? Well, let's read the text because it actually tells us. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. Here's how. Saying that the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And so this man is rich because, number one, he's a farmer. And the crops, the land in which he's farming over, the Bible says, produce plentifully. you, you got to understand that nothing in the passage shows me that he got the land by unworthy means. Nothing in the text shows me that he devoured a widow's house in order to get more land. He, he, he wasn't, like, disrespecting his employees. This man is legit a good farmer, and the Lord blew on his crops and helped them to grow. Now, it's important for you to see that the text does not read the rich man produced plentifully. It says the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Why is that important? Because the crops that grew are a result of God's kindness and giving him favor, not based on his skill to scatter some seed. Okay, last week when you came here, I said, listen, Exodus 35, the gold that they had, that they contributed to the tabernacle, was 100% a result of God's kindness of giving them that gold in Exodus chapter 12. The same is true for the farmer. All of the produce that he has is a result of God's kindness of blessing that land. You do know how many times in Scripture the Bible says that God provided a famine for the land. But in our text, our boy is storing up God's resources because God blessed the land. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Why, why is this important that I say this two weeks in a row to you? Because some of you still think that your money is your money. Some of you still think that your resource, I grind, I work hard, I got that open door because I had a great interview, because I got the degree. That all may be true, but all of it is a result of God blessing the land, making it fertile for you to get the money. Oh, okay, let me put Bible here. Deuteronomy 8.18 says it this way. It says, that the Lord gave them the, the, the ability to obtain wealth. 
That's Deuteronomy 8.18. In other words, you might have the grind, the hustle, and the strategy, but it is God that blesses you with the produce. So just like the gold was not theirs last week, the produce is not his. Really, he's storing up. Really what he is, is he's a power of attorney over God's resources. When I was a kid, I was in the third grade, and I had a friend. His name was Mike. And this dude, I mean, he just had a, I don't know what he does now, but he, he must, he literally, like, he was a good businessman, even at, th- we were in the third grade. He was a great businessman. And so what he, what he would do is he would go down to the junkyard, and he would buy all of these bike parts that were in the junkyard. He'd buy them for really cheap, and then he'd go back to his garage, and he'd put the bikes together, and he'd make these custom bikes, and he'd sell them to the kids in the neighborhood. Well, I got hip to his business. I said, listen, man, I want to help. I want to partake. Like, let me, give me a little job. It's my first job. I said, give me a little job. Teach me how to make bikes, and I'll make them with you. He said, all right, I'll, I'll do that. He probably was cutting corners with me. I, I didn't care. He's giving me quarters, 50 cents, but it didn't matter. I'm making these bikes, and everybody in the neighborhood had these custom-made bikes by Mike. Now, one summer, his mother sent him away to be with his grandmother for a month. He came to me, and he said, listen, I want to make you the power of attorney. Anybody ever said a, a term to you? And you agreed, but then you were like, what the heck is he talking about? Like, anybody ever threw something out, you didn't want to look dumb, so you're like, yeah, no problem. But at the end of the day, you know you didn't know what they was talking about. Well, he said, can you be the power of attorney? I said, yes, but I ran home and said, Mom, Mike asked me to be the power of attorney over building these bikes. I I don't even know what that means. And my mother began to explain to me, well, a power of attorney, it, it just means he has legal rights to conduct the business in the absence of the owner. In other words... You're managing the affairs, the finance, and the business decisions only for the time period allotted. That is the same way with God's resources. The money in your bank account isn't yours. The money in the bank account is God's. You're the power of attorney over God's resources. But some of us should be fired. Some of us should be fired because we've mismanaged God's resources instead of taking them and investing them Back into the kingdom, you put it on your back. Some of us have taken God's resources, and instead of of helping somebody that is in need, instead of doing that, you put it in your 401k plan. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. He's like, listen, the land produced plentifully. In other words, I made those crops grow, but you want to tear down and build bigger barns for yourself? Not me? Yeah, foolishness. So, So... Let's see what else happens in this text because we know that he's rich. We know that he's foolish, but based on verse 16, we still don't know why he's foolish. But let's see why he's foolish. Verse 17, actually verse 16 into 17, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, here's his foolish reasoning. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, when I first read this, he seemed like a really good businessman. Like, this seems logical. This actually seems prudent. This seems like wisdom. You don't have enough room, so you knock down those small barns. Like, the world would view him as a successful businessman. The world would like, he would be featured on every business magazine today. 
He'd be in Bloomberg uh, magazine. He'd be in uh, Black Enterprise. Like all of these business magazines, our boy would be in. Why? Because the world will look at him and say, that's wisdom. But oftentimes what the world views as wise, God views as foolish. But, but for some reason, when it comes to finances, we side with the world's way of thinking about finances instead of siding with the kingdom's view of finances. Here's why he's foolish. He's self-centered in his logic. Like, look, I did the math for you. Between verse 17 and verse 19, he used the word my five times. Between verse 17 and verse 19, he used the word I six times. In fact, let me read it thinking selfishly. Like, consider this. He says in verse 17, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops, and I will, tear, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. By the way, notice he says my crops, not the Lord's crops. It is very clear that he has a faulty understanding of God's resources. He thinks what's his in his bank account in his barns is really his, and at the end of the day, it's not. Over and over again, I will do this. I will do this. It's my barn. It's, it's my crops. And I'll do this. And at the end of the day, what we have is foolish thinking. Now, before we beat him up, we do the exact same thing. Like those of you who are those of you who are not too spiritual to be honest, most of us in this room do the exact same thing. See, the privileged position we have is we know the end of the story. So we can point back and say, yeah, he is a fool. But in reality, the only difference between his folly and ours is ours doesn't get caught in the Bible. Like, if God gave you a chapter on how you spend your finances, like, how, like, what would it read? If God took chapter 13 of Luke and said, I'm dedicating this to your spending, your bank accounts, what would it read? Now, the inscription above this text says, a rich fool. What would yours say? But for some reason, we point at him and be like, I know the end of the story. He's foolish with his finances, as though we're so wise with ours. At the end of the day, most of us in this room know that we have not always been wise. Here's the problem. The problem is not that he's rich. The problem is that his retirement plan doesn't include generosity. His retirement plan has no room for giving away anything to the poor. His retirement plan has, has no room. Like, this is the only place in Scripture where retirement is spoken of explicitly. Yes, the Bible speaks about aging. Yes, the Bible speaks about slowing down. In Numbers, it talks even uh, talks a little bit about uh, finishing off your vocation or finishing off your work. So yes, the Bible does speak about slowing down, but the Bible never applauds retiring to a life of self-indulgence. The Bible never applauds, and I, I hear y'all getting quiet. Y'all like, oh, I got a 401k plan, Pastor. You're not going to disrupt that. I put 6% away, and my company matches me another 6 So. Leave that alone. I, I feel y'all. I understand. Listen, I'm not taking away your 401k plan. But if your 401k plan is a ticket to hedonism, if you're, okay, if your 401k plan, I know y'all like hedonism, what? That's one of those words you done, you done looked up. Listen, if your 401k plan is a ticket to self-indulgence and self-pleasure, the Bible doesn't approve, it disapproves. It looks at it and it calls it foolishness. See, you know how I want to retire? I, I want to retire and then give, like, retire from pastoring. If God gives me, I plead, Lord, give me 35 good years. And I pray to sit back 
give this church to some young buck and sit back and be old, a little senile, a little crazy, but, but be able to sit on some tenured wisdom while he's telling me that, you know, because y'all know that's how we're going to be when we get older. We're going to look at the next generation and be like, they so stupid. Y'all know we're going to do that because y'all know it's another generation after millennials. Generation Z, Generation Alpha. Like, it's all of these different generations. And what we're going to do is we're going to look back and we're going to pass. This. That's why the Spread Love campaign is important. The Spread Love campaign is important because you think that it's only to reach the neighborhood now. I'm thinking 50 years from now, what will we give to the kids in the, in the children's room? Like my hope and my prayer has I've been and I, this is not hyperbole. I genuinely have been praying about the spread love campaign because what would it look like to pass a building on to Cameron and Cody? What would it look like for them in the children's room to be making decisions on how to impact this neighborhood? When you old, you gone or you can't see no more and we sitting back and we watching these kids. What are we going to pass down to them? What would it look like for Ava and Elizabeth in the kids' room to be deacons? What would it look like for Kristen, Tashina's daughter, Ava, Akim Renate? What would it look like for her to be leading worship? She better have some worship skills. <laughs> what would it look like, though? And what are we going to set our kids up? Here's what we're going to do. We're either going to eat, drink, and be merry and be foolish, or we'll pass them on something. So this thing is so, like, I'm not asking you to give for now. I'm asking you to, for, to give for when you're dead and gone. Like, you do know. See, that's the other reason he's foolish. He's foolish because he's not generous, but he's also foolish because he doesn't understand how fickle life is. Do, do you see what Jesus says? Look, look at what he says. Here's God's response. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. God did not look at his actions and say, man, that's wise. Tear them barns down, build larger ones. Absolutely. Jesus looks at his actions and his, his self-centered logic and says, it's foolish. Jesus does not applaud this type of behavior. Jesus looks at self-indulgence as folly. And that's how we have to look at it as well. When, when he says here, fool, he goes on to say, this night your soul is required of you. In other words, you're doing all of this stuff. You're not living past tonight. And that, that shows you how short life is. Like I've said this before, we've been in here now for an hour and a half. You're an hour and a half closer to your expiration date than when you first walked in. I don't care how much Pilates you do. I don't care if you got a gym membership. I don't care if you're vegan. Love you, uh, uh, George. I, I don't care if you eat right. I don't care if you eat avocados and spinach. You got a membership at Blink or you balling out of control. You at Equinox. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. You are closer to death today than you were yesterday. And like we think we, you think you are going to live forever, but what would it look like for you to give to something that does live forever? Like, you know, Christ's church ain't going to die. Jesus says in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to give to something that outlasts me. What outlasts me? The church of the living God. And so I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, I'm, I'm asking you to participate in what God is already doing. He's at work. I would love for us to all be old, complaining about the next generation, but letting them lead. And letting them lead out of a facility that they can really do ministry to impact this neighborhood. It's so much greater than now. 
It's so much greater than just a building and some plaster and paint. It's so much greater and some nails and wood. It's so much greater than that. You guys have to join me in seeing something that's two or three generations from now. Your grandkids. Like, I want to be old, not be able to see, can't read the Bible, and have one of the kids in the church come and read the Bible to me. And then I tell them about God's faithfulness while we were sitting in this little room. That's my prayer. That's my hope. That's my goal. And so what does he say? He says, fool, this night. Like, he doesn't even let him build the barns and then take them. He says, before you're even able to build the barns, you're so foolish, I'm taking your life tonight. This night, your soul is required of you. Let's keep moving here, because there is one way that I, that I do want to be rich. One way. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here's how I want to be rich. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Can you imagine what it's like to be rich towards God? One of my greatest Bible thinkers, theologian, is a guy by the name of Kent Hughes. This is what Kent Hughes says about this text. He says that the way you become rich toward God is investing in Christ's church and in the lives of his people. See, when you're generous and when you're sacrificial in giving, all you're doing is modeling your life after Jesus. When you give to the church, Jesus gave to the church first, but he doesn't write a check. He, he writes it with his life. And so you're giving, you're giving finances that Jesus has already died for the church. See, the gospel is always the motivation. The motivation for us to give is not that I'm scared. The motivation is not that, that I feel just convicted because I never give. The motivation for me to give is because Christ was sacrificial before you even thought of. Before your father, before you were a twinkle in your father's eye. Jesus Christ became generous. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 will say. It says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Jesus Christ was rich. He became poor so that by his poverty, you and I might, you and I might become rich. That is the, that's my motivation, that Jesus Christ could have sat in heaven in his riches and not come down and dwell amongst us. But he decided to put on poverty so that you can be spiritually rich towards God. That's why I'm giving. I'm giving because Christ has given his life. And because Christ has given his life, those of you in this room, which is all of us sinful people, now have a connection, not just through prayer, but an eternal connection with a holy God, even though we're sinners. That's why I'm giving. I'm giving because Christ gave his life and because God shows his generosity in giving his son. See, the, the Trinity is 100 percent, even the Holy Spirit, like he takes off. He takes off moments of being able to shine in his own glory and says, but you need to be worshiping Jesus. Because when he's worshiped, I'm worshiped. See, that's why I'm giving. I'm giving because everything in the gospel points to sacrifice. Forgive us for our stinginess. Forgive us for building bigger barns. Forgive us for looking for ways to invest our money that are outside of the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to look at ways. And that's how I want to give. I want to give to where I'm not just giving, but I'm joyful about giving. Like, we, you can give begrudgingly if you want to, but I want to be, as the Bible says, a cheerful giver. I want to give cheerfully because when Christ went to the cross, the Bible says, with the joy set before him. He was joyful at dying on a cross because he knew that it would reconcile us to a holy and heavenly Father. That's why I give. Father, I pray for everybody in this room. 
Because most of us in this room, if we're honest, Lord, we, we know that we really are, we're the rich fool. We are. We, we've had this idea of eat, drink, and be merry, and relax. I done did well. I grinded. And now I'm, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to retire to a life of self-indulgence. Forgive us, God. Help us to give to your kingdom. Because giving to your kingdom is outlasting us in this room. Father, we've given to so many things that perish. We've given to things that are going to be out of date. We've given to, to clothes that we're going to look back 20 years and be like, that was stupid. Why did I put that on? Why did I buy that? Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to be more, have more wisdom with our resources. Forgive me, your resources. Help us to be wise in our investments. Lord, I'm grateful for this Spread Love campaign because really it's pulling on the one area of our life that we hide from everybody else. Like, Lord, we, we honestly, we can, we can fake worship. We can, we can fake discipleship. We can fake spiritual growth. But we cannot fake generosity. You see our bank account. You see our giving. You see what we spend on. Father, forgive us. We have so many things as functional saviors. Help us, Lord, to trust in you to the point where we want to be generous to you. And generosity, Lord, for somebody in here might not be a bunch of money. It might not be, Lord. Generosity for somebody in here might be just a little bit that they have. Lord, would you multiply it? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.